Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, educate, teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You know how the averages hit new all-time highs like they did today? Dow gaining 115 points, S&P advancing 0.37%, NASDAQ climbing 0.56%. I'll tell you how it is done. I'm going to tell you. See, the market reached unheard of levels by triumphing over the concerns that caused money managers to stay on the sidelines, waiting for lower prices so they could buy. Lower prices that never materialized. You'll often hear that we climb a wall of worry to get to these exalted levels. But today, we didn't just scale the wall. We breached and busted through minefields, force fields, and cauldrons of boiling oil. This is a quiet bull market. No champions, no supporters to speak of. That's why tonight, I want to go over some of the obstacles that we've overcome, because this list is pretty darn amazing. And the fact that no one, okay, maybe outside of of our president on Twitter, seems to be celebrating is downright ridiculous. Challenge is conquered. That's what I call a graphic. All right. Obstacle number one, impeachment. Now, I told you that impeachment wouldn't matter in the stock market one way. That's based on what we saw with Bill Clinton. My any weakness was a buying opportunity, not a selling one. But it's still impressive that we have a sitting president who's incredibly pro-business. And the House Democrats are trying to take him down. And the stock market's just ignoring the whole process. Maybe they should impeach all presidents. Seems to work out well for the averages. Obstacle number two, recession fears. While it is true that job growth isn't quite so fast as it was a year ago, it's still very robust versus the historical norm. But over the summer, the yield curve inverted, meaning long-term bond yields dropped below short-term bond yields. And all sorts of commentators told us that an inverted yield curve is an irrefutable sign that we're headed into a recession. At the same time, I told you that was complete nonsense. We only got an inverted yield curve because the Fed tightened too far too many times last late, last year, screwed up. And I explained that the problem would go away as the Fed continued to cut rates. Still, you had tons of investors freaking out, just freaking out by the endless chatter. I heard it all day. I read it all night about how an inverted yield curve equals recession. You can't afford to take this stuff seriously. These people will keep you in your chains I think part of the latest run has been accomplished because these panic sellers, they capitulated. And then they came back to the stock market as they watched the yield curve uninvert before our eyes. And when you do uninvert, by the way, spell check hates it. It keeps coming back different things. So you have to do undash invert. There's a little factoid. Third obstacle. We had worries about inflation and how the Fed might need to stamp it out. I say worries about inflation as opposed to inflation because we don't have much in the way of actual inflation. We just have lots of so-called experts. How many times? The so-called experts. I mean, I want to wring their necks. I mean, how can they be so wrong? Can't believe that the labor market can be strong without causing rampant inflation. That wasn't one of those. I took that class. 
That's wrong. Now, this hasn't happened because in the new economy, we have all sorts of deflationary forces keeping prices in check. Like Adobe tonight, which just raised guidance. They are like a, just a deflationary monster. Or the big box retailers. Watch. That's Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, Home Depot. They have strong arm suppliers to the cloud-based software companies that save with labor. Yeah, you know, you can fire a lot of people some of that stuff. Well, downsize. Obstacle number four. Tariffs. If you listen to most economists, they'll tell you that trade wars are devastating to economic growth. Starting a trade war is supposed to be a great way to cause a recession. But the reality is a lot more complicated than that, which is why our trade war with China simply hasn't done much damage here. Yeah, sorry, you got to admit it. Hate them or like them, hasn't. Our economy has absorbed huge tariffs, yet most of our fears haven't come true. Meanwhile, American companies are fleeing from China left and right, making their goods in other countries to avoid the tariffs. We still import a huge amount of stuff from China. Don't doubt that. And some businesses have really been hurt. Hey, we're going to hear one later. Not really been hurt, but you'll get the whole scheme of things. But for the most part, there's been a lot less pain than the experts predicted. Incredibly, the companies that were supposed to be hit the hardest, those uh, big industrials, they have stocks that have been helping to lead the whole charge higher. Think United Technologies, Honeywell, Illinois Torx, Emerson, Caterpillar. Those stocks are flying. Fifth obstacle, the risk of Owning individual stocks because of company-specific woes. And boy, did we have them today. Kind of an embarrassing day, if you ask me. Today, we saw the stocks of two high-quality companies get crushed on some very bad news. McDonald's and Under Armour. McDonald's, which is up in the same town as the Chicago Bears, which are also embarrassing, just lost its CEO, Steve Easterbrook, because he had a consensual affair with a subordinate. Easterbrook's the turnaround artist who gave McDonald's a new lease on life. Wall Street loves him. Stocks up nearly 100% under his tenure. Now the new chief, Chris Kemchinski, has taken over. He's a bit of an unknown. I don't know this new guy. I mean, I do know that historically McDonald's had a real strong bench, and I'm not going to hold Easterbrook's ill-advised behavior against this great American institution. In fact, I actually think, get this, I'm the only one who's been saying this, it's been rocked. The stock's been rocked by uh, slightly weaker, uh, the uh, same store sales domestically. Uh, Wendy's uh, breakfast, which is coming out. I think it, 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 down here, you know what? It, it, the stock was at 221. I, I think you buy it. I mean, maybe you buy it tomorrow after some, clan, I mean, after some people downgrade it. I'm betting the risk is starting to get baked in there. Under Armour is much harder, although the Baltimore Ravens won big against the Pats. They're from Baltimore. Anyway, the company just cut its forecast on the same day that we found out the Justice Department and the SEC have investigating its accounting practices. On one hand, Under Armour has a plan to turn things around, and it's doing much better than it was when it comes to the balance sheet and the inventories. That's just true. On the other hand, as powerful deep-pocketed competitors like Nike and Adidas has to deal with fickle consumer. As far as the accounting scandal, let me give you my view. As bad as it sounds, I believe there are no revenue recognition issues. And those are the kind of things that really lead to severe consequences. I'm actually taking them off the table. I don't want to give you any false comfort here, but let me just say I'm far more worried about the turnaround than I am about the integrity of Kevin Plank and his enterprise. I wouldn't be surprised if the accounting issues actually blow over. If it were really bad, you know what? I don't think the government would even allow them to report, let alone issue a forecast. However, I, I can't recommend being a, bu- being a buyer here yet. I don't want to be a hero. My discipline says that both the accounting irregularities and the issues with the sales have to play out a little more. Meanwhile, we've got more accounting issues from, from Twilio, the once red-hot cloud stock. This thing has been twice hit by problems, and they're trickling out. That's the worst way. I've stood by Twilio for ages. Now I look naked as a jaybird. What is a jaybird? My wife said I was naked as a jaybird. What does that mean? I, I, I've never seen a jaybird. Is that like a blue jaybird? 
Just something to ponder. Okay, Twilio is owned by the Charitable Trust, and boy, do I feel stupid. And uh, we got to find out what the hell's going on here because, man, this is one Nastola situation. And these are only the latest offenders. We've been dealing with the dire situation at Boeing caused by their negligence that led to the 737 MAX crash. But they're starting to talk about it on every single show. Check that. Okay, uh, yet somehow Boeing's stock is up 9% for the year. Hey, we've watched General Electric flail around for ages. I think both will eventually recover, but it's not going to happen overnight. There are a host of other companies in the wall of worry. I mean, how can we not be I, companies, issues, trend, Brexit? I mean, how about that? I mean, that's chaos, right? How can Wall Street not be afraid of Senator Elizabeth Warren, who increasingly seems like the front runner in the primaries? Money managers are terrified of her because she wants to raise their taxes. And of course, there's pure valuation issues. Many stocks like Apple have overrun their price target. Then this evening, we've got, uh, we, we, we have Uber going down again. I mean, what is that? There's that unicorn issue. Uh, but here's the bottom, bottom line. These obstacles are exactly what makes a bull market thrive on. They cause investors to go negative. And then as the averages rally, these same people come back in at higher levels, sending us still higher. These are the people, by the way, who trade Apple. Remember what I say about Apple? What do I say? Right. Okay. The panic money uh, managers, they represent the fuel that this market needs to go higher. And right now, this rally, it's got fuel in spades. Okay. Why don't we start with Jared in Tennessee. Jared. Hey, Mr. Kramer, how are you? I am good, Jared. How about you? I'm fabulous, man. I just want to tell you, I'm brand new to trading, and I watch you every day, and I look to your guidance, and I just, I just want to tell you thank you, first You're of all. You're quite welcome, Jared. I'm, I'm glad you're aboard, because there's money being made. You're, I'm not to say money's being made, right? Is that against the law to say that? No. I was Go just going to say, that's what I'm saying. I'm ready to make some money. I, I'm new to it. I'm excited. Okay. I like this call. Go ahead. Awesome. So I'm new to trading, but I had a hunch. Uh, QSR, Popeye's Chicken. I uh, looked back at it in August. It looked like it jumped $9. So I've been playing options. I'm wondering if it's a smart idea to bet on it going up maybe $5. Okay, five listen there. Listen there, young lad. Okay, I think you should be investing, not necessarily trading options. Uh, quick service, that's uh, Burger King, and uh, that's a, a Popeye. Because they got a chicken thing doesn't mean that they're going to beat the numbers. I want you to be a little more careful, though. The Impossible Burger, by the way, they kicked out the Morningstar. The Impossible's going nationwide, and let's understand each other. That's got GMOs. So, yeah, I'll sanction some option trading, but don't forget to invest, too, because you got your whole life ahead of you. You can buy some of those speculative stocks. I like your attitude, though. Let's go to the governor. Let's go to Phil in New Jersey. Phil. A big fan of the Eagles. Booyah, Jim. How are you? I am doing fine. I'm telling you, we made the Bears look, uh, well, I, I, the Bears look like uh, the guy used to run McDonald's. <laughs> go ahead. Huh. Only the Phillies could do that. would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes. But maybe someday. But um, I have a question for you, Jim. So I bought Estee Lauder, right? It's you know, 12% off its high. I bought right. it before earnings, and I bought a little bit after earnings. Okay. The stock keeps continuing to go down. I don't know, like, what's causing this thing to, to plummet down. I'm just wondering if I should just keep it. Well, yeah, it, I or... want you to keep it. I mean, what's happened is, like, the Procter & Gamble's, all the stuff that is recession, like, Procter & Gamble's down $4.80. This is because people were not going into recession. Now, I always said we weren't going to recession, but nobody listened to me except for maybe my wife, and even she didn't really care for what I had to say. Maybe my dog. But now I'm on track. It's not going to be a recession. Why don't we go to Alex in Florida right now? Alex. Yeah, hey, Jim. How's it going? Not bad, Alex. Thank you. How about you? 
Doing well. Okay. It's good. Good conversation so far. What's up? So I just wanted to get a, a general sense of how you feel about uh, Pacific Gas and Electric right now. You know, with Baupost betting on their insurance claims. Overall, what do you think will happen with a their bankruptcy? A wise man, Alex. A wise man once said that the greatest thing about stocks is that they stop at zero. Do I need to say more? How about Leon in Pennsylvania? Leon! Good evening, Professor Kramer. Booyah. Thank you my for question, giving me tenure. My question is about Tell. Uh, I've been buying the stock since the CEO was on the show last. Yeah. And right now it's down today, and I'm wondering, buy, sell, or hold. Oh, I think it's fine. I mean, we're going to, you know, we have a surfeit. I did that from the SAT of Matt Gas in this country, and it's really, really low. And, you know, here we are. We're, bet- we're betting with uh, Sharif Suki. So far, so good. Just but remember, it is a long term play. Okay. These obstacles right here are typical of what drives the bull higher. It's all the skepticism. We over- we've overcome all of these. Oh, man, buddy, tonight. Is China behind the strange strength in this market? I'm going to give you my take after recent action. Then, has Wayfair lost its mojo with the stock down more than 50% for, uh, from its all-time highs? I'm breaking it down. And it's the company behind the brands of Mashable and PC Mag. And it just hit a 52-week high, and I think it's going to go a lot higher. But you may have never even have heard of it. I'm sitting down with the under-the-radar online media and cloud services play, J2 Global, to see if it's worth owning here. I suggest that you stay with... Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com WEC. Okay, let's figure this out. Is China the secret to this market strength? As I look at so many of the leaders from the past two weeks, I was struck by their lack of commonality, at least until today. See, today we learned that in return for President Trump perhaps staying the December tariff hikes, among other things, our companies might gain access to the Chinese financial markets and we can get some big agricultural orders. I gotta wonder, is that why the big banks have been doing so well? Is that why the stock of John Deere won't quit? Is that why the 5G plays are really soaring? It does make sense. Think about it. If you can argue that J.P. Morgan really ought to be going down with every rate cut, right? Because rate cuts are supposed to be bad for the banks. They hurt the net interest margins. Hey, maybe the stock of J.P. Morgan's been on fire because it's the bank that some say have the best Chinese contacts. Or how about Citigroup? It's got a fantastic franchise in Asia. No wonder it's priced earnings multiples expanding here. But that brings us to another question. Why aren't MasterCard, Visa, and American Express up more? Of these, MasterCard's got the fastest growth. Visa's fine. American Express, though, is the credit company best poised to benefit from China. They already have a local joint venture with Lian Lian, 
Of course, this is precisely the kind of joint venture the White House wants to stamp out, but it's better than nothing. You know what? I think America's best MasterCard visa are all buys. Then there's Goldman Sachs and the Apple card. In the past, they've said that they don't want this card to be anything but domestic. Don't forget, it's incredibly difficult to build a credit card system from scratch, and Goldman isn't ready to take on China. I say put it in the can't-hurt category, but then again, it doesn't necessarily help. We know PayPal stock has done nothing since it got approval to buy GoPay, that's a Chinese company, as a way to gain access to the Chinese market. Hey, maybe uh, that's something we ought to look at again. We're seeing something similar in the semiconductor space. Last Friday, Corvo, okay, this QRVO, their stock rocketed higher after the company reported some huge 5G orders. The pin action from those numbers boosted Skyworks Solution and Marvell Tech, too, the latter of which, by the way, rallied to 6.6% today off a Wells Fargo upgrade. These are the big three when it comes to 5G plays. Now I'm leading to wonder whether the move was, was bolstered by the fact that our government is talking about relaxing restrictions on one of their biggest clients, which is Huawei. The move makes a lot more sense when you view it through the prism of China. As for Deere, it really is something to be the only publicly traded company that the algorithms recognize as a winner when it comes to China trade. Deere has been going up steadily, even as we keep hearing that the trade talks aren't going well. Either we get a deal and Deere sells more machines here, or there's no deal and they sell more machines in Latin America because China needs to buy its crops from somewhere. But understand, all these leaks about the trade talks are coming from the Chinese side. For some reason, the U.S. media treats China as somehow more credible than our own government. Even if you hate Trump, it's pretty crazy to treat the Chinese Communist Party as a credible source. Of course, they're leaking that the talks aren't going well. They're trying to pressure the White House into making concessions. To me, the sticking point for this uh, phase of the negotiations will be if there's something else China demands beyond a delay and a tariffs. And that's what makes me a tad suspicious about all this trade truce happy talk. What will the Chinese do to show they mean business ahead of the next round of negotiations? They promised a big buy of agricultural products last time. Nothing happened. They also said they cracked down on illegal fentanyl shipments. Nothing happened. I think we'd better see some action soon. Or we'll have to become more circumspect about the negotiations. So if China doesn't give us some signs of good faith, I wouldn't expect to see an end to say the Huawei blacklist. It's just not going to happen unless they show that they're serious about making a deal. And when I look at their actions so far, you know what? I don't think they really are. Let's go to Cherry in Louisiana. Cherry. Yes, Jim. Cherry. I have a question for you. Okay. Uh, I've got some money that I've sold some stock in my portfolio that I'm over, uh, got too much in, in it, and I was wondering if now would be a good time to invest more in my Cisco. Okay, I think Cisco, uh, the last quarter was just okay, and the stock came down. Uh, stock's starting to move up now, but why don't we just wait on that? Because I do think that after what I saw from uh, Risa Networks, it is pause about the kind of spending that we're trying to see from data centers, although Cisco, I think, is a much better company, candidly, because it's more diversified than Arista Networks. Trade talks. Let's be a little more circumspect. And stay with Kramer. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com.
Something happened last week. Wayfair, the big online furniture retailer, reported exactly the kind of results we've been seeing from them for years. Higher than expected sales, powered by a terrific growth rate, but paired with weaker than expected earnings. No one ever seemed to mind that Wayfair was a long way from profitability. They only cared about the revenue growth because this was a classic momentum stock. But this time around, something changed. Suddenly, investors ran out of patience. When they reported the latest numbers last Thursday, the stock lost nearly 20% of its value. And it's now down 50% from its highs in March. I think the story is finally unraveling, mostly because growth has gone out of style on the Wall Street fashion show. Nobody's willing to give way for the benefit of the doubt anymore if they're going to keep losing a lot of money. So let me explain what's happening here, because you need to know the sea change. Ever since Wayfair came public in 2014, the story's always been about one thing and one thing only, growth at all costs. While the company's revenue growth has exploded higher, so have its operating expenses. That's how Wayfair goes from doing $1.3 billion in sales in 2014 to nearly $6.8 billion in sales last year. But its earnings per share shrink from negative $2.97 to negative $5.63 over the same period. The company had a 50% plus compound annual revenue growth, but in many cases, its operating expenses have grown even faster than that. For example, last year, Wayfair's sales growth accelerated to 43.6% year over year. That's up under 40% in 2017. But they made that happen with a big marketing push that caused their operating expense to increase by 52%. In other words, they paid through the nose for that revenue growth. Meanwhile, the company's been borrowing money in order to finance its growth initiatives. After boasting a clean balance sheet for years, Wayfair added nearly $1.5 billion in debt over the course of 2017-2018. And that's not terrible for an $8 billion company, but it does add a new wrinkle to the story. Interest expense. Put it all together, and Wayfair's been developing some hideous earnings numbers for years. And they look even worse when you factor in the cost of stock-based compensation because the company's constantly creating new shares to pay its employees. There's nothing new about this, though. For the last eight years, I'm sorry, for the last eight quarters, Wayfair's reported better than expected sales, and with one exception, they've also delivered weaker than expected earnings. Eight quarters. All right, the one exception, when the company reported in late February, the earnings were stronger than anticipated, stock exploded higher. Maybe investors thought Wayfair had finally figured out how to achieve something closer to profitable growth, and that's why the stock hit an all-time high of $173 a few weeks later. Right around this time, RH, the company formerly known as Restoration Harbor, reported a disappointing quarter of the stock got hammered. On the conference call, their terrific CEO, Gary Friedman, voiced some outright frustration that Wayfair was getting such a high price to sales multiple when the company's not even trying to turn a profit. In response, I told you to ignore Wayfair and buy RH because I'd rather own a stock with profitable growth than one that's burning money simply to impress Wall Street. Since then, what's happened? RH has rallied 71%. Wayfair stock is down more than 40%. Friedman was confident that, that both stocks would eventually get their due. And it looks like he was right. Thank you, Gary, for teaching us what works and what doesn't. So why did the market finally turn on Wayfair? For starters, the company encountered a bunch of headwinds, like the trade war with China. As a furniture retailer that competes on price, Wayfair sources a lot of its merchandise from China. Listen to the snippet from the latest conference call. Since the beginning of the year, more than 90% of our suppliers who are subject to China tariffs have raised wholesale prices, which have resulted in higher retail prices. As a result, uh, as retail prices on the site fluctuate, we observe that our customers' consideration cycle gets disrupted and is effectively lengthened, end quote, ouch. Wayfair also had some key executives leave. 
In July, the company told us that both their chief operating officer and their chief technology officer would be retiring. At the time, the stock sold off hard, but most of the analysts who followed it claimed it was a buying opportunity. Well, you know what? They were wrong as the stocks continued to come down. More importantly, Wayfair's growth seems to be slowing. Remember how last year their sales growth reaccelerated to 43%? Well, this year it's decelerated again, falling to 38% in the first quarter, 41% in the second quarter, just 35% in the third quarter. Now, it's tough to be a growth stock when your growth is slowing, albeit from a high rate. Meanwhile, when you look at Wayfair's year-to-date income statement, you get that sense that they've really run out of options to keep boosting their growth. Companies already raised its capital spending to improve the platform. They've increased their ad spending. What more can they do? While their sales are up 38% for the year, their operating expenses are up 52%. Again, it feels like they're spending more and more to buy less and less growth. Wow. Bad combo. Most importantly, though, by the time Wayfair reported the same kind of quarter we gotten used to from last week, Wall Street's attitude toward growth stocks had changed and changed dramatically. We've seen a massive rotation out of growth and into value stocks with proven earnings. It's taken down the deserving and the undeserving alike. Well, how about Grubhub? How about Align Technology? They've been savage because money-losing competitors are eating into their market share. They had it coming, but the cloud stocks have been hit, too. After a parade of unprofitable IPOs this year, investors have really run out of patience for this kind of business model. They're no longer willing to pay up for something like Wayfair with fast revenue growth, but no apparent path to profitability. And that has been terrible for the stock. And even though Wayfair stock is now down 50% from its highs, it's not clear what they can do to turn things around. They need to do a wholesale revaluation of their strategy, and I'm not sure they can pull that off. The bottom line, Wayfair imploded last week because this market is sick and tired of companies with rapid revenue growth that are losing massive amounts of money. Throw in the fact that Wayfair's been hurt by the tariffs and the growth is slowing, and you can understand why the stock was eviscerated. This has become a momentum stock without any momentum which is why I think you need to stay the heck away from it. As long as growth is out of style in the Wall Street fashion show, Wayfair stock, it's going to be toxic. Let's speak to Greg in Texas. Greg. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm in the house of pain big time after Pinterest's 20% beatdown last week. Yes. What's your long-term guidance on that stock? Okay, here's the issue with Pinterest. They told you they were going to do X. A lot of people feel like, hey, when they say it's going to be X, it's X plus two. No, they did X. I think that Pinterest is a real company. It's going to do well, but it's not going to go grow as fast as you'd like. And it's going to spend some time in the penalty box. But these are smart guys, and they are figuring it out, and they are doing well. I would not abandon Pinterest down here. Let's go to Andrew in Ohio. Andrew. Hey, Jim. I dig your show, man. Thanks for all your awesome advice. Of course. So I picked up Shopify in its 320s back in July here. So I've seen it go all the way up and all the way down and then some. So... Am I uh, kind of going to expect it to keep going down, or what, what are you going to do No, I mean, I was looking at it for, I was, you know, we have a club call next week for Action Alerts for my club, and I'm thinking, you know, we sold this thing much, much higher. I really think if you can get this thing below 300, I say you. Bye, bye, bye. So I'm not going to worry about Shopify. That's a very smart company. All right, growth, I mean hyper-growth, is out of style in the Wall Street fashion show right now. That, along with a lot of other factors, now you understand why the stock of Wayfair has just been eviscerated. I need you to stay away from it. 
All right, much more man money yet. I'm talking to one company leading the charge on the digitization trend. Don't miss my sit-down with the CEO of J2 Global, the opposite of Wayfair. Then I've got the exclusive with a private company that's hoping to change the way you travel and could be rolling into a city near you. And all your calls are rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Oh, friends, set you up, whatever, you know. There's a lot of dating services. Go beyond sex. Go to Beyond Meat. Go to to whatever it is. I don't know. CEO dating site. I don't know what to do. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. understand this economy unless you understand digitization. It's a relentless force that upended nearly every industry under the sun. And there are few companies that know digitization better than J2 Global, J-C-O-M for you home gamers, which is a hybrid online media and cloud services play. You might recognize them from some of their big brands, IGN, Mashable, Humble Bundle, Speedtest, PC Mag, Offers.com, New One, Spiceworks, among others. But J2 also gets about half of its sales from cloud services, including an online fax platform, a virtual phone system, cloud-based data backups, and email marketing solutions. This company has grown into a 4.8% billion-dollar digital powerhouse by making a series of very smart acquisitions. And we know these deals are paying off because they just reported a strong quarter late last week. That's why the stock hit a new high today. It's up more than 40% for the year. So can this relatively unknown name keep climbing? Let's take a closer look with, 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 I'm sorry, with Vivek Shaw, it's CEO of J2 Global, to get a better sense of the quarter and where his company's headed. Vivek! Welcome to Man Money. How are you? Okay, I've known Vivek for many years, which is why I stumbled on because it's all, it's difficult for me to call you Mr. Shaw because I've <laughs> known you for way too long. Okay, first time on the air. Why don't yeah. you give people the vision and what you've done? Because you've really created such a powerhouse and in not that long a period of time. So we are a portfolio of internet brands, as you said. Um, we operate media brands, IGN, Mashable, um, Humble Bundle, Everyday Health, Baby Center, and then software brands. So iContact, Viper, IPVanish, about 40 brands in total. And so we, I think there's some common themes about, okay. th- about these brands. So number one is they all share highly recurring revenue. So that's an obvious statement about subscription businesses, which is about 60% of what our company right. does. But the other 40% is advertising. And in our advertising business, it is 80 to 85% of the revenues recur annually. So we love the stability. Me, though, but you taught me that, that, that ad is a tough business. Why is your ad business better than the other guy? Well, so... What I'll say is the balance is great. So I think of the subscription business as the running game. I think of the ad business as the passing game. You have a combination. Hopefully you have a winning team. In our advertising business, I think a lot of advertising businesses are about selling impressions, selling display ads. They call it cost per thousand uh, priced advertising. We're focused on performance marketing. So leads and clicks and acquisitions. And so when we're generating customers Mm -hmm. and delivering customers versus delivering impressions, we find that the market embraces that. And generally, marketers have a cost per acquired customer, right? right? Their CAC. As long as we can continue to deliver customers within their CAC, all day long. There's no cap to the kind of spending that they'll do with us. Well, this is amazing because I know what you've done, which is just keep finding 
the properties that others either even don't understand their own properties. Yeah. Uh, or you take advantage of the fact that the market's now closed the unicorns already. Talk to me about Spiceworks, because that's a very exciting deal. Yeah, so we are, so Spiceworks is in the enterprise IT space. It's a publishing business. It's a software business. We have a bunch of brands in that space. So this was a natural coming together where we get economies of scale. There are some natural synergies. But I think probably the most important part of the Spiceworks deal, and many of our deals have this kind of situation, they were on a VC track. The VC track can be and often is different than the track we're on. We will take uh, lower revenue growth, slower revenue growth for profitability. So for us, driving profitable growth, earnings, generating free cash flow, that's what our business is about. That's how we run our properties. And so to take a company like Spiceworks, put it into our system, put that discipline and approach to the business, we'll create a tremendous value. Okay. A couple, about a year ago, you told me, Jim, that era of just wild growth and no profitability, it could end. It just ended. Yeah. How did you know? Well, I don't know if I knew. I mean, I think you just I think markets tend to get back to rationality. Right. And so from our point of view, cash is king. Uh, the purpose of J2 is to generate free cash flow. We've been doing it really since our inception. I think uh, from the beginning of the company, uh, 23 years ago, we've generated $3 billion of free cash flow, which, by the way, we've redeployed in acquisition. So we have spent $3 billion in acquiring assets. And we kind of look at it as the cash flywheel. We run our businesses for cash. We use that cash to acquire new businesses that we then optimize for cash. And we just continue to repeat. So you know, I think our time has come. I think we are uh, different right. than a lot of businesses. Look, I think anyone can spend a dollar to make 75 cents. <laughs> You're talking about the Uber model. I'm talking about some models that are out there. <laughs> well, look, I know uh, we are old friends. I know it's not about uh, friends, it's about money, but you've taught me so much. And I know your family's a big fan of the show. I want to say a uh, shout out to Andrew, Thank you. who I know is watching. And I just think that what's, uh, what you've done is create a company that I cannot believe. I mean, I've been trying to get you on for a while. I can't believe uh, people don't know it because it is just a powerhouse. Yeah, I mean, we're doing well. We're executing. And I think that's, that's critical. Well, excellent. Vivek, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank Thank you you so much. That's Vivek Shaw, CEO of J2 Global, JCOM, one of the greatest business people I have ever met. Mad Money is back after the break. It is time! It is time for the lightning and then the lighting rounds are, are you ready? Skate down of the lighting round. Because we're going to start with Edward in New York. Edward. Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah. Long time watcher. First Excellent. time caller. Excellent. A little bit of your wisdom. I have a question for you. Sure. About lending tree. Oh, I like lending tree. In this environment, Doug Levin is killing. He's crushing it. We are Levin supporters from way back. It's buy time. Let's go to Harmon in Texas. Harmon. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Alveda Medical. It's up over 600% for the last year. What's your take on this one for the next coming year? What's the one? Anagata Alveda. I don't know that one. I have to come back on that. That's a, that's a foreign company. Let's go to David in Florida, please. David. Hey, how's it going, Jim? First I'm doing well, forward. David. How about you? Good, good. I was calling about Scorpio tankers. It's up 
It's crazy town. It's crazy town in that group. That isn't trade. Those rates keep going higher, and the rates just keep going higher and higher, but you're in there for trade. Please don't stay, don't overstay. You're welcome. How about Brandon in New York? Brandon! Oh, yeah, Kramer. Oh, yeah. I'm a young investor and a big fan of Mad Money, so thank oh, you. Thank you. That's what we want. <laughs> My stock tonight is Okta. We're down about 25% from the high that we made this year, and we have earnings tomorrow. What should we be looking okay, for? Okay, the market how do you see does not like this stock right now. Even if they shoot the lights out, I don't know how much it's going to go up. But Adobe did report after the bell. They raised their guidance, and uh, they reported at an analyst meeting. So maybe you can save uh, family fave Okta. But right now, I want you, because you're younger, just own it for the long haul, because Todd McKinnon has the best cybersecurity business there is. Cliff in New York. Cliff. Good evening, Mr. Kramer. Good evening. Can you tell me if N-Phase Energy is a buy, sell, or a hold? Which one? Or, I'm sorry, Sun Power. Uh, it's Sun Power is so low, I'm not going to tell you to sell it. I can't believe how low it's gone. It's actually quite discouraging, frankly. But I think that it's okay here. Let's go to James in California. James. Hey, Mr. Kramer, thanks for taking my call. My I always pleasure. appreciate your very astute insights. Thank you. And being uh, a retired and dependent a, a lot on dividends, I want to ask you what your take is on One Oak. One Oak is, is one of the best energy plays, 5% yield, Walter Holes, fabulous CFO, known him for 25 years. That one's a buy. Let's go to Belinda in California. Belinda. Hey there, Jim. Hey, uh, Plains All America, PWA, transportation company. We no, know no, that's the opposite of One Oak. That is a company that I don't trust and I would not own and I don't think is a good situation for anyone retired or otherwise. Let's go to Dave in Illinois. Dave. Dr. Kramer. Dave, how you been, man? I'm good. Hey, I got to congratulate you and your Eagles for dominating our struggling Windy City Chicago Bears and pulling off a decisive home victory. It was a it was an achievement of sorts. I had Montgomery. I, I had benched Montgomery in my fantasy league, but I may not need him. My executive producer needs, uh, by the way, Saquon to get nothing more than 18. Let's go. Let's go to work, Dave. Sounds good. It's a mad money anointed cloud prince. It's HubSpot, H-U-B-S. I like HubSpot, but remember, Dave, we know these, these big hyper growth stocks have gone out of style for now. But if we sit there on HubSpot, I think we'll be fine. That's a two for HubSpot and Okta. Let's go to Ileana in Florida. Ileana. Hey, Jim. This is Ileana from Miami, Florida. Okay. I wanted to ask your opinion on Zscaler. Zscaler quarter which was not the blowout quarter I was looking for, frankly. And that was a little discouraging there because I think that, you know, Jay Chaudhry's terrific. And I know this happens to be a Heather Gaines favorite. But it did not uh, blow the numbers away. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. For work or for fun, a new generation is hitting the road in a way that benefits their lifestyle. With a small carbon footprint, battery powered with touchscreen and Bluetooth, can the bike lane become electric? And give this company the right of way in the sharing economy. One thing you miss if you live in New York, the rise of electric scooters. 
which has suddenly become a pretty big business. Over the years, this ride-sharing makes owning your own car less and less attractive. We've also seen the rise of electric scooter networks, which commuters, tourists, and thrill-seekers can use to travel around big cities, often at a very reasonable price. Except in cities where scooters are banned, the traffic in New York is bad enough already, I guess. This industry has gotten so big that even Uber, which reported tonight, and Lyft are trying to get a piece of it. At the same time, there are also a bunch of uh, scooter startups like Ojo Electric, this beautiful machine, which trades, by the way, under symbol in a kind of a select exchange, OJO in Toronto. This is a company that's developed to own scooters with a seat, by the way. You can see that, right? This is not just a stand. And a, uh, and a built-out ride-sharing service that is in Austin, Dallas, and Memphis. Their plan, they want to create a sustainable mobility ecosystem, and they plan to consolidate the whole market by making serious strategic acquisitions. This story is still in its early stages. Right now, they have only 1,250 scooters across three cities, but they plan to double that number by January. So is this the future? Let's take a closer look with Max Smith. He's the CEO of Ojo Electric. Get a better read on the company and the broader scooter industry. Mr. Smith, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you, Max. Thank you. Have a seat. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. All right. So, Max, is this the future? Well, we think so. Uh, you know, we took a different approach. Um, it's a different scooter. It's a seated scooter. And uh, we're excited about the, the product that we built. We think it's uh, really uh, explosive. $7 trillion mobility market. How much can this take of it? Well, you know, billions of dollars are being spent right now disrupting trillions of dollars in mobility, logistics, transportation. So we think that it's, a, it's a really big market, not only for moving people, safely, sustainably around the city, this scooter is really designed to deliver food, to do parcels, to do packages. So that entire mobility space in the delivery of products and services and food is an explosive market. We're seeing that. Okay, so you're partnering both with cities, but also are you partnering with the the grub hubs of the world, the door dashes, that kind of thing? Yeah, we have a pilot underway right now. Uh, That's really exciting. They're reporting in excess of 30% more efficient deliveries using the scooter. It's, it's more efficient than any other form factor, whether it's car or bike. So it's the average rider right now, the delivery person is doing 35 miles a day, and there are some doing 50 to 60 miles a day. That's more trips, more tips. There's greater retention in delivery people. They actually love, like actually have fun riding the product. Right. Now, so, so Grubhub last week, uh, we're saying, listen, you, there's really not a lot of margin. harder to make money. Why don't they use Ojo? Well, if they're listening, um, perhaps <laughs> we could do something. Fair no, we really, we really think that's a big marketplace. That's a, it's a great market, and it's, very, it's competitive as well. So delivery on a more efficient basis, saving costs. I know you own a couple of restaurants. Right. How do you get food there quickly, on time, and it's still warm? That's the opportunity. Now, one of the things that we've learned is that, for instance, uh, Hoboken decided they didn't want them. Uh, but at the same time, we, everyone in our office was saying, how could you not want something that doesn't pollute, that is efficient, that people know is, is kind of a very good bargain? Yeah, we ran a short pilot in Hoboken. We love the relationship that we built with the city, with city council, the mayors. We have great ridership and support for our product. The day after we ended our service there, the president of city council got um, a call from a very good friend of hers. She said, Ojo changed my life. She has MS. And she said it, it gave her a new form of mobility that she did not otherwise have and was really impactful. That meant a lot to me. I mean, my mother has MS. And, and so this, it speaks to the scooter. It speaks to the, the design and the accessibility. So um, Hoboken's going to be a great marketplace. We'll, we'll be back there some, sometime in the future. Okay, talk to me about the uh, 
the world of sharing. I remember you telling me once that you could go to a parking lot in L.A. And at one point it was just jammed, like a hotel parking lot. Now it's like empty. I mean, it, the revolution's here, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's really it's access to um, mobility products and finding the, the elegance of the model. It's really you open an app, find it, ride it, leave it. Really beautiful. No insurance, no gasoline. It's, it's really easy to do, and, and people are really adopting it. And so that's great. Now, there are some unintended consequences that come with that, right? There's street litter, and right. there's some other you know, blocking right-of-way. And that's where we develop th- this product is not only the hardware, not, not only the scooter. It's the software, the telematics, and how to park. Right. So w- we do virtual parking. You have to park it at a, at a docking station or a place that we designate. Okay. If you don't do that, you, you can, but you'll have a fine. Okay, fair enough. Now, it is beautiful, but I understand that it is currently made in China. Is that going to be the same? Because there's got to be a big tariff on this, no? There is a tariff. Um, tariffs are tough. It's, you know, that's a big impact on, on our uh, cash flow and our business. Right. We already have plans and have a facility in, um, uh, in Vietnam. Really? Okay. Yeah, so, so we're looking at when to to do that, and and that that's something that. We'll so you're do. part of that whole economy that, that has to move out in order to be able to save some money. Yeah. But yeah. you probably have a great relationship, and I bet you the Chinese make a great product. Yeah, it's a great product. We we, we have a great partnership there. We've been doing business for a long time, and and uh, but if tariffs don't uh, go away, we'll probably make a change. Wow. Okay. That's Max Smith, the CEO of Ojo, and that's OJO Electric Company. Stick with Kramer. Thank you, Max. Thank you. Got some calls in HubSpot, on Okta. These are those high-growth stocks that people are rotating out of and going into value. So don't take it to heart. It's just a rotation. It will come back again soon. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.